This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast, that opportunity for us to enjoy conversations with people who have made significant contributions through their life and their service and their profession, and have been able to do so while preserving a strong commitment and expression of their Christian faith. Today, we're having a conversation with Rumbi Mabambi. Rumbi is the executive officer of the Chain Reaction Foundation and the Mount Druitt Learning Ground. She has a philosophy about how students learn best when they are also invited into a conversation around their learning program. That program has been recently recognised with a a Zest Award as the most exceptional project in a not-for-profit organisation. Rumbi, it's very uh, very much my pleasure to have this chance to talk with you about these wonderful organisations that you've been a part of. And we want to hear exactly, you know, what is the Chain Reaction Foundation and the Mount Druitt Learning Ground? Maybe you can explain the basis and the intention of those organisations that you're part of. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on this podcast, Brandon. Uh, the Chain Reaction Foundation is an organisation that began over 20 years ago, and it was looking at how Australia can grow as a a society with more social cohesion. And through uh, many long unhurried conversations in the early 2000s, our founder, uh, her name is Margaret Bell. She was also the founder of the Volunteer Centre in New South Wales and went on to establish volunteering New South Wales and uh, led a really strong uh, civic life. But in her retirement, she began these conversations in different communities around Australia. And one of those conversations was had in Mount Druitt. And uh, there, some of the community leaders and elders came together and said that they were worried about young people and the fact that young people were growing up um, and not having a a sense of uh, really a positive outlook. <clears throat> Sorry for their future, and so through long and hurried conversations, uh, the, they began a program called Mount Druitt Learning Ground. And when it began, uh, the Aboriginal elders in Mount Druitt um, asked Margaret if she could call the place Learning Ground as a place where young people's learning is grounded in the knowledge of themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also f- to recognize the value of connection as a, as essential to young people's learning. And so that's how chain reaction began, and how uh, learning ground began. And it's now uh, quite an established center for behavioral change, working particularly with young people that are disconnecting from school and society and are in need of that extra bit of help. Mm. in order to um, re-engage with their learning. 
and also uh, we run in-school programs called Learning Ground in School. And we are working mostly in Western and Southwestern Sydney at the moment. That's fantastic. And you, you've become involved in some of the leadership of these two organisations, executive officer uh, of each of those. Uh, yes. Yeah, how, uh, how did you get involved? I became executive director in, uh, in July, actually. I've oh, been wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Congratulations on that. Our, our information is a little bit out of date. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I began working with Learning Ground in 2018, uh, in January 2018, and I had gone through a season as with most, I guess most of those pivotal moments in life, I had gone through a really tough season with my youngest child being unwell and finding the the, the need to commute to the city. I had quite a corporate job, which was quite difficult for me to be a mom to a sick child and be working um, in a corporate role in the city. And as I, I was praying to God, I said, I need something local and I need something part-time and I needed to be about working with young children uh, or working with adolescents. I'd also been volunteering at that time. I'd been volunteering as a mentor um, to young people that were um, sort of, you know, in families where there is no no one in their family who's gone to university mm. and no one in their family who's been uh, to a sort of more corporate role. And I was... Uh, role modeling as, as in a way so providing um that adult uh, example mm. and um so at that moment I thought why why can't I do this as a job and I was asking God and so I saw this role advertised and I went in to have a conversation then with Margaret I went to have an interview which began became a conversation because we were I guess in a way so connected in um, our understanding and our vision and what we hoped. And so it became quite a, a, a really a good moment, a really mm. good moment, and which has become uh, what I hope will be my life's work, actually. <laughs> that is a wonderful thing for you to profess, that you yeah. you, you feel that you're in, involved in such important work that you'd be happy to to see this as, as the avenue of your service until God calls you somewhere else, obviously, but that yeah. you feel a real fulfilment in that. I'm interested to hear it. You, you talk about the fact that you were talking to God about your future yeah. and where he might be better able to uh, allow you to be authentic to the season and circumstances of your life, but also offer ministry. Can you unpack for us and you share with us, how did faith become part of your life? How is it that God became somebody that you could talk to and knew would answer you when you asked yeah. those sorts of questions? Yeah, I grew up in Zimbabwe, which is in Southern Africa. It's a beautiful place. I'd encourage anybody listening to visit one day. Um, it's uh, And I grew up in a family. My father was the only son uh, and my grandmother was... Um, uh, a, a young woman when she became blind and she also lost her husband at the same time. My father was about five years old. And so then she was, uh, you know, a, a young blind woman in rural Zimbabwe with a child. 
and no way of uh, seeing him through an education. Mm. And so she took him to some missionaries and she asked them <clears throat> if, if they could send him to school and that he would help them around the house. And, you know, she advocated and said, he's a good boy and he'll do okay. Uh, and um, after a lot of a lot of that, it didn't happen instantly. Um, she finally found a couple that were willing to look after him. And so he would be with them during the school term. And then during school holidays, he'd go back home and be with her. And so that was his life growing up. And those missionaries were part of the Lutheran church. And that became my parents' church when uh, they were raising us. So we were raised in the Lutheran church and um, had that understanding of God. Mm. Um, but God became more personal to me when I was older. So when I was in my early teens, I then understood um, the, person the personal nature of the relationship. Mm. And uh, I guess Jesus as a friend and um, the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And that Amen. became, um, and then that became my faith. Amen. What a, what a wonderful story. I've had the privilege of visiting Zimbabwe a couple of times. And right. you, are, you are right, it is a beautiful country. And the people are exceptionally kind and generous and open. But it is a country that has known hardship. It is, yes. a, it is a society that has suffered through some very tough political and economic social disruption. When, when uh, did you find yourself here in Australia? Uh, I came with my husband in 2010 and uh, we, we came here really looking for, uh, I guess, better opportunities for ourselves and our children. Mm -hmm. we, we had had, um, I have to say that I did have quite a privileged background. Like my dad was able to get really good work from his education and, um, and, 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 and in that, in return, get me well educated. Mm. So I was in a, position I guess to be able to come to Australia from a place of strength and but as with all immigrant journeys when you get to Australia you have to reinvent yourself exactly <laughs> yes. yeah you do because uh, you're not always able to get so I trained as an agricultural economist and I could not get a role as an economist so I decided to reinvent myself and I worked in the not-for-profit space for a few years um, and uh, r really felt, I mean, I say that I was fortunate because that is how I feel. Mm. Um, but my one of my first CEOs was somebody who really just believed in me mm. and put me, um, opened up opportunities, allowed me to try projects and really uh, took time to show me how an organization is run. And mm. so that put me in a position to be in my next role. And he would he encouraged me into my next role and to say, you need to pitch yourself higher because you've had the training. And so I guess to have somebody else come alongside and uh, say that gives you a yes. bit of confidence to go forward. Yes. It, it seems to me that you have been uh, ideally primed in your experience to understand in a, at a very foundational level and a very practical level the in, intrinsic benefit of education 
that having experienced the benefits of your of it, of it yourself in your homeland, when so many others in Zimbabwe don't have access to good, strong, consistent education. That's true. And to have arrived in in a new country with an attitude not just to rest on your laurels, not just to say, well, my learning has been done, I've got the degree on the wall, I need to keep learning and learn things that are new and learn things about how organisations work. You, you've lived that, that priority of what it, how an education is ongoing and how it does open up so many opportunities that would not be there otherwise. That's absolutely true. And uh, what I've found in my work um, is that for the young people that I work with, they are young people that who's, you know, it's people say that Australia is a place of opportunity. And sometimes there's actually quite a, uh, a demeaning narrative that says, you know, people should just get on with it because Mm. the opportunities are there. But the reality is there's a lot of young people that are growing up inside these opportunities, but they're not revealed to them. Yes. And they also do not believe themselves to be able. You know, uh, for a young person to say that I am able, they have to be built up to it. Yes. And it's in, 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 and and when, you know, when we ask a, a lot of people who are successful about people who've inspired them in the past, a lot of teachers show up there mm. because, you know, it's, Sometimes the teacher is the one person in a child's life who is actually giving them hope mm. about a future beyond their current circumstance. Yeah, I think that is such an important point that you're making, Rumbi, is that there undoubtedly are external factors, things about economies, things about um, the society structure and yeah. distribution of wealth, access. All of those can be very real, but... They're only part of the factor, right? One of the things I wanted to ask you about is I was reading your your bio, your your uh, information before our conversation that you have a heart for the vulnerable and troubled kids, and I wanted to ask you what do you see as the causes for their being vulnerable and troubled kids? Is it something that is at a family level? Is it societal? Is it individual? Is it spiritual? Maybe you can unpack some of your thoughts on that. You've started to suggest the complexity of understanding a a child's circumstances. Maybe you could take that a little further for us. There's definitely a lot of societal, like structural issues that keep people cycling through the same uh, issues that their parents have in the past. It is a, it can like, you know, it's so difficult to break into that. And some of them are thought patterns, you know, their belief systems that are really difficult to shake. And so some of the work that we do with young people is it's around social and emotional learning. It's that psychoeducational learning because our lives can be quite, you know, experiential. So the things that we have gone through impact how we view life mm. and how we meet other, you know, how we meet opportunities. Mm. 
if you have grown up believing that you cannot and you have been told you cannot, uh, we have a lot of young people that we work with who, whose parents have gone through the justice system or their or a relative, and you know they're told, well, you look like Uncle Tom, you're going to end up like Uncle Tom, and that is repeated in a young person's life. If it's if there is no other adult speaking life into mm. that young person, that becomes quite a core belief mm. that is difficult to shake. I like the work of Yuri Brofenbrenner, who says that uh, one of his saying is that every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. And um, that the, a young person's development is so linked to uh, an adult in their life mm. who is speaking life. Mm. Who is showing them, uh, you know, a path, or telling them that they can do things and that they can believe in themselves? Mm. And um, yes, so you know, it's it's that psychosocial learning. It's yeah. learning about ourselves. It's learning about others, and learning about how our life experiences impact uh, what we do. So, uh, I guess as an example, you can think about. You know, there are certain smells that bring up a memory. Yes. And for each person, that memory is different. Yes. So, you know, the smell of freshly baked bread, for some it's a beautiful memory, it's home, it's grandmother's house maybe. Uh, and for others, it could be uh, a reminder of lack, you know. It could be, you smell freshly baked bread that you never could have. Yes. So each... Each person's approach to that um, is different. But the power is in a person beginning to develop knowledge of who they are and what those things are for them mm. so that they can respond in a more informed way when when something happens. Mm. When you are unpacking the intentions or the, the philosophy of um, both the Chain Reaction Foundation and the Mount Druid Learning Ground, you spoke about part of the intention of those projects to create positive outlook uh, for the participants, for the young people you're working with. And I guess what, one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing is that that has to have two dimensions to it. There needs to be a positive outlook that is their identity, that they think better of themselves or they think that there is... There is value in their own future. Yeah. Not that they deserve it, but they they can take hold of it. But then there's also the practical pathways. How do I how do I go about that? Yeah. Are they the sorts of two things that you're trying to do simultaneously? Here are the steps you can take, and this is who you are as you take those steps. Yeah, so it is what we're trying to do. But for us, for us, our the first part of it, which is that learning of yourself, uh, for us, we, uh, we it's psychoeducational. So there's a lot of educational, psychology like in, in underlying it. And we are allowing the young person to discover that for themselves, who mm. they are. And within the program, we talk about the five me's, which are the physical me, social me, emotional me, um, spiritual me and the thinking me. Uh, 
but we we believe that all those means are you know part of a person and each one requires care mm. and so we, when we are talking to a young person we can then reflect back on it sometimes and say well now which me do you think needs support at this mm. time so th that fundamental knowing of self and then uh, step two is a recognition of others being the same way so mm. that you understand yourself and then you also open yourself up to understand others and how we are all different but fundamentally we are the same mm. and then the third part is where you know we are asking them to think about their future and the values that they want to live with and also we are looking at opportunities for them absolutely um our main avenue is we want them to stay in school that's our, our main aim we recognize sometimes that some children cannot some young people cannot so when they're in year 10 we can talk about what else uh they could do other than remain in school but mm. we we truly believe that um we want each young person that leaves our center in particular to have for us to have a certainty that they have they know what they're going to do next and mm. and they're feeling positive about it mm. so maybe as as i'm hearing you uh explain that notion of understanding the complexity of your own identity understanding how you exist as an individual in social connection with other people and, and i spoke I, I phrased the question i just presented to you about giving a sense of optimism mm. a sense of you, you use the word positive outlook i might use the word hope in more of a, a yeah. spiritual sense you know a, yeah. a, a gospel sense which i think is is some the same not exactly the same but you, you know what i'm saying and i said not that anyone deserves that that they deserve success or they deserve opportunity or recognition but it's almost like the opposite that they they don't deserve hardship and they don't deserve the the mistreatment or the the um, lack of recognition that so often is part of students who are struggling to find themselves or to know themselves Yes, and, and, and I, I, I have to agree with that, that we do want them to know uh, that it's not their fault. Mm, exactly. Because a lot of young people carry guilt around yes. their circumstances and around the actions of adults in their yes. lives. So we want them to know that it's not their fault, uh, but that they have a personal choice about what they are going to do. So yes. we don't want them to feel that, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm so overwhelmed in this circumstance. Yes. But we say that, you know, as, as you're growing up, there is a, a, a something unfolding for you, and that is the power of your personal choice. Yeah. What are you going to do? Now that you know this, what are you going to do? And and for them, and, and we start off small, so we want to build up their self-esteem. So we start off small and we encourage them in, you know, when they, in, in small accomplishments because we want to build up the sense of I can do it, I am mm. capable. Mm. And so with things increasingly becoming difficult, but 
their self-esteem is growing along the way as well. Mm. So then mm. they're able to. Mm. They're able to. I love what you said before about hope because that's one of my favorite verses is return to your fortresses, you prisoners of hope. Or well, I shall yet <laughs> uh, I shall yet I shall yet reward you. I think that's how it goes. But I love that because I feel that I am in a way a prisoner of hope because mm. I, I want what is best for young people and, and for society. And it's not always a smooth journey. Mm. And anybody working in a not-for-profit knows it's not always a smooth journey. Uh, and also in, in working with young people that are in really tough circumstances, it's not always smooth because sometimes they, they go backwards mm. and you have to to help them come forward. Yeah, it, it takes a, an extraordinary amount of, of um, strength to hold the line and persevere when you're dealing with such important and yet such fragile ideas as somebody's self-identity, their self-perception. Uh, it can be so precious but so frail as well, can't it? And, yeah. and holding, holding yourself in a position of, of strong compassion, not to be discouraged or deterred by obstacles or disappointments, but to continue to lean in and invest in those lives, where, how do you find that strength in yourself, Rumbi, to, to keep showing up? So my strength is in my faith mm. because I do believe that, you know, God's hand is in it. The program itself is not, is not aligned to any, uh, it's, it's not a Christian program, it's not aligned to any religion. And when we, in the program we talk about the spiritual me, um, we we want young people to recognize that that aspect of them exists. Uh, but I I truly draw strength from God and mm. from um, the knowledge of Jesus' love for humanity, mm. and that His love, you know, it remains unshaken. It remains unshaken through. Uh, through all our uh, lives and our, you know, our circumstances and our decisions, and so, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm growing my strength. That that's a beautiful thing to, again, without putting words in your mouth. What what that's speaking to my heart as I hear you is that you you genuinely feel like you are living the gospel. That this is for God so loved the world that He reached out. To make a difference and to bind up the brokenhearted and to preach liberty to the captives and to make a difference for those that are the victim of circumstances that they they're not trapped by that definition of that's all I am a victim of circumstance and I'll never be any different I'll never rise above that there is an inherent dignity that they carry as as created in the image of God that he wants to make a difference in their lives and he wants to give them hope and purpose, meaning and, and, and dignity. And that's a beautiful thing. If that gospel is the thing that you are carrying into your work, whether it carries the badge of, of a Christian organization or whether you can share Bible verses or not, it, that is the heart of the gospel. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. And, and I guess there'll be many people who are many Christians that work in non-Christian environments. And 
I, I think the strength of the gospel and the strength of uh, our faith is that we carry we carry it in us. Mm. So we can be, you know, we we can be confident in our in the outworking of our work. That you know, if we are doing it in our heart, we are doing it for God. Uh, even the circumstances we're going through at work, we can bring them before God prayerfully. Amen. And uh, and and we know that He is at work mm. in in all the circumstances. Amen. And that gives me great hope. Yeah, that is wonderful. So you're making the the um, implication, Rumbi, that for you, education has a, an element where it's vocational and you're learning skills, but real education is something that allows you to see yourself with clarity and with a degree of self-assurance to step into not just doing things in the world, but being a person in the world. Is that too grand a description of what that you're is, to do? I'm so glad that came through because that is the truth. It's about a different kind of education, mm. but an important education. Mm. You know, it goes beyond learning about just the physical and our digestive system and mm. it goes beyond the intellectual learning, but you're actually learning about yourself and and how your life's experiences have shaped you to be who you are today and the choices available for you as you're stepping into the future and and, and um it's 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 a rare learning yeah i think some of it we used to we used to have it in in our social processes well while when we were growing up like in in my culture there are people around you that sort of uh, try and impart a learning that is not through your parents, but we lose that as society becomes more individualized. Yes, and therefore no one's having the conversations with young people. No one sits around the dinner table and says how was your day and unpacks an interaction with a peer. You know, that doesn't it doesn't happen as as often as. Um, I think we assume, I think a lot of us are watch, uh, watching TV while we eat and then we're going to bed. So we're not really talking to each other. Yes. That's a beautiful thing. And, and again, what I'm picking up in those last few comments of yours is that while this this uh, personal understanding, this, this uh, you, you used a phrase earlier, grounded in knowledge of self was a phrase you used um, earlier in our conversation and you've been highlighting the absolutely essential nature of that sort of education for these kids that are vulnerable or in difficult circumstances, challenging circumstances. But I think you're also saying that it, that should be the fundamental of education for any of us, that whether we enjoy on. privilege of opportunity, whether we can go to a good school in yeah. in the part of Sydney or another capital city, if we don't, if all we have is an education about books and numbers and letters and maths, then we've had an education that is not as rich as it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an education for all of us. Mm. Even adults, when I explain what I do for work, say, wow, I wish somebody had actually taught me that. Mm. I wish somebody had spoken to me about that because it's an, it's an essential work. Um, and at the moment, we are working with young people that are disadvantaged because um, that 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 is where um, you know that's where the need is greatest. 
and and uh, sadly that is where also the funding is greatest because yes. if i were to if i speak to uh, uh you know an, an everyday um school and i say well you know i think this would be great learning for your young people it's like well how do we fit it in the curriculum it really isn't time um and i and i think that's because the value of it is still unfolding Mm. I think COVID has helped us to sort of sit up and say, you know, our our path into uh, an online world is not without its disadvantages, mm. and we're able to see uh, with the you know the really drastic uh, statistics around young people's mental health because of being online for such a long time without that interaction with each other. Um, that that is actually not an ideal world for us as human beings. We yes. are relational. Yes. We need each other. Yes. Uh, and uh, and and it is also true, like for moms that gave birth during COVID and didn't have the moms groups. Yes. There was higher risk of mental health because you didn't have the interaction with each other, and that's uh, it's part of what we're offering in our program is that, is that ability to sit together and. Mm have conversations and realize that you are not alone. There are common, uh, mm. uh, there's a commonality of issues that we or experiences that we go through as human beings and that they pass. Rumbi, as I'm listening to you, I'm reflecting on the significance of what you're describing and the notion that so much of our recent world, our recent society, at least in the West, has emphasized individualism you know you the individual your identity your success your opportunities your preferences your self-expression your self-definition even to to take it to to extreme and you're you're presenting a, a much more complex notion of identity than just the self that we exist we exist most fully in community and wherever there might be the disregarding of relationship, whether it's family relationship or friendships or, or the connections that we form at school or at work, where we don't understand the social ecology that we're part of, we're somehow less, we're less fully ourselves than when we do see that it's conversation and dialogue and interaction that helps us know ourselves. Mm. And this is where we know ourselves, where we see ourselves reflected in others, mm. when we have the conversations and, and, and we get an understanding of uh, who we are in, in, in the group, mm. not, not as, as the individual. We can know ourselves as the individual, but it leads to an, an, uh, a real aloneness. Mm. Um, and 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 that's where we see, you know, young people beginning to feel that they they uh, they don't belong. They have no sense of I belong here mm. because they just, you know, we don't have the society around them giving mm. them sense mm. of belonging. That is so true, isn't it? I mean, the very definition of belonging requires there's something to be outside ourselves. Yeah. We, we can't belong to ourself. Wow. If we belong, it has to involve others. And I, I'm just thinking back to the words of God at the creation, 
that it is not good yeah. for people to dwell alone. Oh, it is, yes. <laughs> that, that is not the best. Being yourself isn't enough, even in God's yeah. estimation. And and the wonderful gift that he gave us of community and society that enriches who we are. Yeah. And even the, the, the verse that says, must not give up on meeting. Yes. And some are in the habit of doing. Because sometimes we take that to mean we must not give up going to church. But actually, we must not give up being together. Amen. We must be together. Amen. That's a profound thought, isn't it? Meeting is just not being in the same physical location. Yeah. It's allowing my heart to meet your heart and my life to meet your life and, and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, that, that's that's profound. It, it makes me actually think uh, we were talking a bit about privilege a little earlier that came into the conversation and the notion of those that are provided opportunities as opposed to those who don't. And I'm thoughtful now as we're talking that even some of those wonderful opportunities to have first-class leading education that is teaching you to do things and to have skills Maybe it's not so much a privilege if it's putting up barriers and it's putting up facades that stop you from really meeting other people or being quiet enough to know yourself in a way. And and for these young people whose life circumstances have prevented them from having so much... um, apparently beneficial noise and then a voice like yours or your organisations that is coming in and speaking truth to who they are, That mm-hmm. that's almost a privilege of a different nature, of a more valuable nature. I would hope so. <laughs> and I think, um, I think that for the young people that have been through Learning Ground programs, they become... Uh, young people who actually belong mm. and they come to learning ground to share their good news you know mm. they've got alumni that come with their babies mm. because in i guess they found a place where they could learn a different kind of learning mm. and what you said earlier about uh, sometimes the privilege of learning um closing us off Mm. It's very true because it takes away empathy as well because we don't understand why others just don't get on and do it. Mm. Um, and and that could be because we never sat and actually got to get to got to understand them or got to know their circumstance. Mm. And um, yeah, mm. I mean, my my life was quite. I, I think part of my learning was that I had um, my dad was. He he worked for the mines and he did all right. So I had one type of life while I was uh, at school, but I had to go to my grandmother's every school holidays and the holidays were a month and she was in the rural areas. And uh, my mom always emphasized the humanity of each individual, no matter their background or circumstance mm. or what they're bringing to the table. And she always uh, um, instructed us, (laughs) encouraged us to relate beyond the superficial thing. Mm. So she would say, well, you know, it's great that you're doing so well in school, 
But when you go and talk to this person who's not doing so well, that's not the conversation you're going to have. Yes. So what conversation are you going to have? You know, so challenging us to um, put ourselves in another's position yeah. and learn and also uh, acknowledging that we learn from everybody around us. Which which um, leads me to a question that I've been wondering as I'm hearing you describe the beautiful program you're part of. What does success look like for you when you have a child that comes into your different way of thinking and they they hear these wonderful truths about who they are and what they can do to to change their perspective and their outlook on life. What's the fruit of that? What What is the product? Uh, they come to us in so many different circumstances. Um, I see that success as when a young person believes that they can. If they believe that they are, they can do it and they believe that they are, they are lovable. Yeah. There is something in them that is, that can be loved and there is something in them that is capable. Then they are able to uh, move on into the next stage in their life and to actually uh, find opportunities for themselves. Mm. So it's about their, their sense of ownership, their, their identity. That is truly the product that you're looking for. It's not stepping into a vocational training program it's not mastering some sort of test those are great i mean we 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 look at those for um they're good indicators you know have they finished school have they uh gone on to do something else uh but i guess for me personally it's about how they are feeling about themselves as they step out into the world do they have that con- confidence that is intrinsic to them? Mm. And uh, because for a lot of young people, we can't change the circumstances in which they're living. Uh, mm. A lot of them are in very difficult circumstances. We can't, some of them are, are in care. You know, we can't change that un- under the care of the minister. But can they go forward with a level of confidence in the world that they are able? Mm. That's it. That's enough. Yeah, Rumbi, it's beautiful. It's so lovely to hear the um, the heartfelt passion that you have for this and the, what appears to be a very deep sense of vocation and call upon your life, upon your ministry in this area of service. I wonder whether or not you can see any parallels, any points of contrast, any connections between your training as a an ag- agricultural economist and figuring out how to how to uh, make profits through growing things on on farms and and harvests and a different sort of harvest that God has called you to be part of sowing and reaping. That's actually a very hard question. <laughs> I, I have let go of my agri- you know my agroeconomics background. I am thinking of. Uh, society and how it works together mm. i guess i'm i'm reflecting on um on god's heart for humanity and mm. his his unwavering love mm. for for humanity 
and how it's outworked. And it, and, and it is un, unfortunate, I think, in some ways that the way, the way the world has evolved, it seems just really easy to dismiss Christianity. Mm. And yet there is such... Um, what, what what God offers us in that relationship is something that can carry us through the toughest circumstances. Amen. So even in my work, I recognize sometimes I really say to myself that, you know, we talk about their spiritual self. And I really want to talk to them about the spiritual self that is Christ. Amen. And I, and I, I, I don't, but I want to because I believe that is what is a, a real last grounding in in who you are because we have you, you know each of us in our minds we have a propensity to be so hard on ourselves Ooh. and but but Jesus offers us a different way and he offers us a loving voice he offers us a, a path to living in real communion with God yes so um yeah so I think that's where I am at in my thinking well, Ruby, my I, I, as a Christian. <laughs> I hear your story and I can't help but draw a parallel when Christ went to a bunch of professional fishermen and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I feel that he's done the same to you, that he said, you know, you want to be involved in agriculture and 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 growing those sorts of things. Come follow me. I'll help you grow people, and I'll help. Them. <laughs> I'll help bring a harvest of a different type. And I I hope that you have that same sense of of genuine commission from the heavenly Father for the work that you're doing. It sounds very clear that you are about helping make significant change on how many young people feel about themselves, understand themselves, and experiencing in a very practical way the genuine love of God. Thank you for your time in our conversation this afternoon. I really appreciate you investing so much. And we'll be continuing to pray that God strengthens you for the work he's called you to do. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast, Brandon. I really enjoyed my uh, conversations. And I think the way you also uh, summarized the words that uh, in, in the questions, it actually uh, brings a different light to me. Like it shows me a, a different way of seeing the work, which has been really good. Well, I'm pleased that you enjoyed it. I certainly did too. And uh, we look to God for more good things in the future. Thank you. <laughs>